Good morning. Uh, Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis 27, chapters 1, verses 1 through 45. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt game and bring it, hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goat she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, Esau his brother came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, 
who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me even also, even me also, O my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? The grass withers and the flowers fade. So if you aren't already there, go ahead and turn to Genesis 27. Let me pray as we jump in. Father in heaven, just as we've sung these words today and <clears throat> reminded our, ourselves again of your goodness, uh, of you being our great king, God, I pray that this would be uh, made even clearer today as we open your word together. Um, so be with me as I speak. Um, be with all of us as we listen to what you have to show us from your word. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So if there was ever a, a situation where you were coming to ask me, I don't know why you would ever ask me this question, but just what if. Um, Kevin, who is a family in the Bible that I could model my family around? And I'm not sure exactly who I would point you to, but I know for a fact I would not point you to this particular family. In many ways, this household of faith we've been learning about in Genesis is a negative model of how to raise a family, from the grandparents to the children and now to the grandchildren. Many mistakes were made along the way. Sarah, for instance, the grandmother here, sends away uh, Hagar and Abraham's first son, Ishmael, to essentially perish in the desert, and Abraham allows it. 
And then you have Isaac, as we learned last week, makes almost the exact same mistakes and commits almost the exact same sins his father made, almost as if he was reading from a script. And then here in chapter 27, you have both Isaac and Rebekah showing parental favoritism toward each of their children. Isaac towards Esau and Rebekah towards Jacob. But really, every person in this story is to blame for the disaster that we witness in chapter 27. It seems as though no one remembers God's words to Rebekah back in chapter 25, verse 23, some time ago for them, but the words that says, the older shall serve the younger. It's as though they, didn't, they never stopped to consider, not one of them ever stopped to consider to say, I wonder how this will come about. Because Esau is the oldest, the, the birthright is, is entitled to him, the blessing is entitled to him, but God is saying it's going to go to the younger. I wonder how God is going to work out. Let's just sit back and watch this take place. No one ever, no one ever asked those questions. Instead, what they do is everyone involved seems to try to work it out in their own way, to kind of assert their plan into God's plan. So Isaac altogether ignores the prophetic words of God and and moves forward with blessing his oldest son. Rebekah, on the other hand, remembers the words that God spoke to her, but believes she must intervene rather than wait for God. And then both Esau and Jacob go along with their parents' plans and even add some details to it. But what I think the author of Genesis here, Moses, wants us to see in all of this is not just the mishaps of a family, but rather that God's hand never leaves his promised ones and that the ways of the kingdom of God are backwards. They're not like our ways. So three ways I want us to look at this this morning. One is through a father's blindness. Two is through a son's sin. And then three, we'll look at a God who is faithful to everyone involved. So a father's blindness, a son's sin, and a God who is faithful. So first, a father's blindness in verses one through four. These first four four verses create the tension for the rest of the narrative here in chapter 27. Because as I said last week, Isaac is very much an underwhelming character in the story of Genesis. And here in the first four verses of our chapter, we learn a a few more details about him. He's old. It's said that Isaac's age is probably around 137 years at this point, and yet he still lives to be 180. So that's 43 more years he'll have on the earth, and we'll come back to why that detail is important later. The second detail that we learn is that, that he's physically blind, that his eyes are dim, So this is a significant detail that Rebekah and Jacob used to their advantage later in the story. But both of these physical realities about Isaac begin to influence his decision-making process. He knows that his body is failing him. So in his mind, death is close at hand. I can't see. It's harder to get around now. I am probably about to die. So he may have thought this, he may have thought, had this thought because his brother Ishmael did die at 137 years. So maybe he thinks we're from the same genes, we have the same dad, 
maybe I'm going to die now as well. And so he, he begins to kind of rush things along. But these physical ailments press upon him in such a way that it brings to the surface the spiritual blindness that's in his heart. So there are, there are the, these are the thorns in his life that reveal what is actually going on inside of him. So we know this reality well, don't we? We, we all have thorns in our life that reveal uh, our hearts to us. I wonder what thorns you might have. I could name a few that I have. A lot, actually, more than a few. Maybe it's someone cutting you off in traffic, and you'd like to have a, a nice word with them in, in the comfort of your car. Maybe it's a, it's a coworker or a classmate. You know when you show up tomorrow morning to work or school, you know that person is going to test you to the point that you're going to lose your Christianity. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe you have a hard marriage, and that is your thorn. Maybe it's your children when they act up or they don't do what you say, and that's your thorn. And you react in anger and you yell at them or, or worse. Well, it's in those moments where we can either be content and trust God or do as Isaac does here, which is to handle it in his own way. And there are several factors to notice here about how Isaac handles this and these thorns that are, are revealing his spiritual blindness. The first factor we have is, is of him announcing his death before the time he actually was to die. But if you look closely, you'll see that this announcement of his death is driven not so much by his failing body, but more by his belly than anything else. And we also find out where Esau gets that trait from as well. Look at verses 1 through 4 again. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. And he said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. So secondly... Isaac goes against the prophecy that is given back in, twin, in chapter 25, verse 23, to Rebekah. Now, this is, uh, that prophecy that was given to Rebekah was 77 years prior, okay? I don't, I don't know many of us that could remember things 77 years prior, but I think you would remember when God spoke to you audibly and said, this is going to happen. But instead, Isaac goes against the prophecy because he's hungry. But also notice Esau's eagerness to earn back his birthright right in the same way that he lost it, through the satisfaction of hunger. He thinks, if I can just do this for my dad, I'll get that birthright back. I'll get that blessing that I deserve as the oldest. So a third factor that plays into Isaac's spiritual blindness is the favoritism that he shows toward Esau over Jacob. So it's not all that clear why, but it, it seems to be related of why he favors Esau over Jacob. But it seems to be related to his hunting skills and his preparation of Isaac's favorite meal. So apparently Esau was able to make Je uh, Isaac's uh, a favorite meal, and that was something that drew Isaac to this son. So in Malachi chapter 1, there's some harsh words that we hear God say. 
He says, I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. Which are kind of shocking words to us when we hear that, like God hated someone. But really, he, what, what's happening there is God is emphasizing the line of promise found in Jacob. It's not found in Esau. But here in Genesis uh, 27, Isaac's thinking is not in line with God's at all. So if God is saying, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated, Isaac is saying the opposite. Isaac is saying, Esau I love and Jacob I hate. You see, Isaac's mind is still focused on man's way of doing things. He doesn't see how God can make the older serve the younger. It's not, it's not the way we do things according to our customs, he might be saying. It's backwards. Esau is the promised one. So it's similar to how his parents, Abraham um, and Sarah, couldn't believe that God would give them a child. And so they set out to make a child in their own way by Sarah giving her maidservant to her husband, which we know, because we've already looked at it, did not work. Ishmael was not the promised one. And so Isaac follows suit here. Prepare for me delicious food, Esau, such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. So one final factor that reveals Isaac's spiritual blindness is in the verse I just read. Isaac wants a meal prepared for him and him alone. So this is significant considering that Isaac planned to bless Esau at this meal. That was a big deal in that day and time. It wasn't something you just did every day. You just blessed everybody. That was a big deal because typically in this culture, when something like that uh, significant was going to happen, those special occasions were marked with an elaborate family feast. Everybody in the family was invited. Everybody in the family was invited to come and witness the giving of the blessing. But this is not what's happening with Isaac and Esau. Rebecca and Jacob aren't even in the scene at this point. I guess you could imagine Rebecca there kind of hiding behind the curtains and listening in, but they're not mentioned yet until verse 5. So Isaac really just sought to indulge in a selfish feast for one. The real problem of his heart here was his, defi- his devi- defiance of the revealed will of God, of his ignorance towards God's plan for his younger son. And the fact that he attempts to do this all in secret shows that he knew very well what he was doing. He was not ignorant of the promise. Isaac knew that if he announced what he intended, that he intended to give the blessing to Esau, his family would have erupted into dissension, so he thinks. And to prevent this from happening, he resolves to do it in secret, revealing his heart through his words and his actions as he does. And in the same way, our heart too is revealed in our words and our actions. It's just not something we read in the scriptures. Jesus even says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Paul says in Romans 12 that, that we are to offer our bodies, to offer our, our lives as a living sacrifice devoted to God. So what do your words and actions reveal about your own heart? How you speak to other people, how you treat them. 
Are you pining for control like Isaac? Are you ignoring God's revealed will to you because it doesn't match up with your will? Well, even as we move forward in the narrative, we see that while Isaac was trying to avoid dissension, his secret actions actually cause the dissension. So you see wife against husband here. Mother against son. Father against son. Brother against brother. And all against God. And we witness this in our second point that highlights the son's sin in verses 5 through 27. I'm not going to reread those for us, but that's where this takes place. Now, you may be thinking it would be more appropriate, I think, to title this point a wife's sin. Since this section of our text begins in verse 5 with, Now Rebekah, the wife of Isaac, was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. Now remember, there is not one innocent party in this whole affair. Nobody in this, in this text deserves our pity. Everyone was at fault in the decisions that wreaked havoc on this family. Every single one of them. So the danger, there's two dangers here. There's the danger for us is either to condone this family, so making us unjust or uncharitable, and then in turn disregarding how God could use such people to carry out his good purposes. So we could condone them and say they're all bad, nothing good could come out of that. Or, on the other hand, we could excuse their sin on the grounds that they were being used by God to fulfill his good purposes. And we say, oh, that's okay. They were, they were actually doing what God uh, wanted them to do. But then we run the risk of compromising God's word as we do that. Remember Paul's question in Romans 6 when he says, Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And Paul says, Absolutely not. So we need to hold both human responsibility here and God's sovereignty together. There's a tension there, I recognize that, that we're not going to delve into today. But both are active, and both continue to show up in the book of Genesis. So Isaac's mishap and choice is to disregard the promise of God by moving toward Esau with the blessing that belonged to Jacob. And while Rebekah was right to cling to the promise, her misstep lay in failing to trust God to bring the blessing to Jacob in his own time and in his own way. And yet God, in his sovereignty, works his good purposes out, even though the situation is tainted with the sin of its participants. Because while all were at fault, Jacob, the promised one, is said by one commentator to be the basis character in this whole episode. He goes on to say, quote, True, he can be praised for at least valuing spiritual things when Esau despised them, and his fault can be lessened a bit by noting that in submitting to this deceitful scheme, he was simply obeying his mother. Now, I'm sure some of you are taking pity on poor little Jacob here at, at that moment in time where his mom was just like, do this. Do it exactly as I tell you. Don't worry about it. Um, everything's going to be fine. Um, and maybe you're like me, where you kind of picture him as this kind of easily persu persuaded adolescent. And if that's where you're at, you would be wrong, just like I was. 
because Jacob was not a child at this point in the story. He was actually around 77 years old. He was a grown man who could make grown man decisions. He didn't have to listen to his mother, but he does. This kind of puts him in a different light because now we see that he fully participates in the schemes of his mother by lying to his father. Not once, but twice. And even dragging God's name into the deception with him. Look at verses 18 through 24. So he went into his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. The first lie. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. Lie number two. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may fill you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to, his, to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Now through this deceptive act of Rebekah and Jacob, they do obtain the blessing. That their, their, their plan works. But as we learned last week, just because you're being blessed by God doesn't necessarily mean you are living according to his will. And I would argue that none of us do this perfectly. None of us live according to God's will perfectly. You too sometimes walk according to the way you think your life should work out. I mean, yes, you may not be joining forces with your mom to deceive your blind dad. It may not be that far, but you do deceive someone when you do this. And that someone is yourself. You deceive yourself into thinking that your will is better than God's will. And so you go and do your own thing. You tell yourself that you know what's best and ignore any attempts at God's direction for your life. One pastor wrote concerning this scene, the fate of such attempts, including our own, to manage God's matters by keeping things dark and misrepresenting fact is written for all those who care to understand in the results of this scheme of Rebecca's and Jacob's. They gained nothing. For God had promised that the birthright would be Jacob's and would have given it to him in some way redounding to his credit and not to his shame. And by doing this, they actually lost a great deal. They gained nothing because God was already going to give it to them. They did not have to work this scheme, this plan to uh, obtain the blessing. And, but by so doing, they end up losing way more than what they gained. So when I read this quote, I was immediately reminded of Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6 when he is teaching his disciples how to pray, the Lord's Prayer that we did earlier in the service. But he's reminding them not to be like the Gentiles. He's reminding them not to pray as those who are not God-fearers when they pray up these heaping up empty phrases is what Jesus says to God. Why? Why does he tell them not to pray in this way? 
Because your heavenly Father knows what you need. He knows what you need. And so there is no need for you just to throw up these empty, big phrases before God because he knows what you need. So fundamentally, what Jacob and his mother are doing is they are acting like pagans here. They are not acting like people who fear the Lord and are following the Lord their God because they're not trusting him to do what he said he would do. So I believe we can all fall into what has been called functional atheism. I'm sure you've heard that term uh, used before. Writer Paul David Tripp said in an article he wrote titled, Are You a Functional Atheist? says, yes, we believe God exists, that he created the heavens and the earth, that the Bible is accurate, and that paradise awaits. But we often live at a functional level as if there is no God. So God is irrelevant in your work. I had a guy tell me one time, he was, a, he was a, uh, in dental school, say, say to me, God is, those words exactly, God is irrelevant to my dental practice. And I said, man, I would never, I didn't say it to him, but I was like, I will never come to you for dental work, but if that's how you feel about it, but maybe God is irrelevant, irrelevant to your work, your family life, your social media post, your interaction with people. You just think you can treat anybody any, any way that you want because of the way you feel. You make big decisions apart from consulting with Scripture or prayer or uh, others in your community. You seek to live independent of his body, his bride, the church. And let me just say, you cannot call yourself a Christian and not love Jesus' bride. You can't do it. Or you just don't take God at his word. You don't believe his promises to you. Well, this is the state of Jacob's heart at this point in his life. Even though he is the promised child of Isaac, he receives the blessing from God. His heart is moving in the opposite direction of God. But in all of this, in Isaac's spiritual blindness, in Jacob's sin, we still see a God who is faithful to them both. And we can say, who is also faithful to us. And we see this in our final point. A God who is faithful. So despite our worst days, God is still faithful to his promises to his people. And I know a lot of you would say yes and amen to that. We've seen this at the very beginning with Adam and Eve in the life of Abraham. And even here in chapter 27 in the life of Isaac and Jacob. But first, I want you to notice the turn that happens in Isaac's life in verse 33. This is after he's been deceived by his wife and son, and it's the moment when the real Esau returns from his hunt, and Isaac realizes that something is not right. Verse 33. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then? that hunted game, and brought it to me, and I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. So it's a short verse, but a lot happens here. One commentator calls this scene the conversion of Isaac. 
And so you might be thinking at those words, how could this be? Isaac, his his father is Abraham. Isaac was the promised one. His own birth was a miracle. He even represents uh, Christ in a way when he goes up on the hill with his dad to be slayed. He points us to Jesus in that moment. How could he only just now be coming to belief? And I would say very easily. Because as a pastor, I've seen many a people who grew up in solid Christian homes, had wonderful Christian parents, where they were in a healthy church every Sunday, but they didn't come to Christ until they were much older and out of the house and out from underneath their, their parents. And I know that's true for some of you here. You could say that. So this same commentator who calls this Isaac's conversion goes on to say, just in case you're skeptical, he says, even if, it, even if it was not a conversion in the sense of Isaac being changed from an unsaved condition to a saved one, it was at least a conversion from a willful rejection of the sovereign decree of God to an obedient acceptance of it. So when Isaac hears the voice of his true oldest son, Esau, that's when he understands not just that he's been deceived by Jacob. Notice he doesn't really get angry at Jacob, which tells us that Isaac recognized that something much deeper was happening in this moment at this particular time because he recognizes what he's done. He recognizes that that not not that he gave the, 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 the blessing to the wrong person, but that he actually has boxed God out of his life so he could do things his own way. He now understands the Lord's work and the Lord's way. He now understands why the blessing is going to the youngest son, even though he tried to, to switch it up on God. And that even though he tried to, to box God out, God's sovereign hand was never removed from him and was never removed from the situation. And as a result, by the time we reach the end of verse 33, Isaac's belief is firm in what God is doing. You can hear it in his words when he asked to no one in particular, even though Esau was present, but I think this is more of a question to himself. Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came, and I blessed him. It's almost like he's having this epiphany moment. He knows. He's, it's almost like you can see it in his mind's eye that he is remembering the words that God spoke. The older will serve the younger. And then he ends knowing exactly what God has done when he says these words, and indeed he will be blessed. And it's here in the blessing in verses 27 to 29, we witness God's continued faithfulness to Jacob, but ultimately to the promise he made to our first parents back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, just in case you forgot about that way long ago at the, at the first announcement of the Messiah, the first promise that God says, I am going to make everything wrong right by sending my son, the snake crusher the promised one that says he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. The first announcement of the gospel. So here again in Genesis, God is staying faithful to this promise. And we know this because of the blessing that is given Jacob. 
despite his actions in getting it, God still receives all of the glory. We even see the confirmation of this in the blessing that Esau receives from Jacob, as one writer called it, the anti-blessing, in verses 39 through 40. Then Isaac, his father, answered him and said, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of, of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. So this, this is simply a blessing declaring Jacob's blessing, the real blessing, to be true. And this is just another reminder that God's plan can or never will be thwarted by you and I. It will not be stopped. God will accomplish his good purposes in this world and in your own life. As Paul puts it in Philippians 1.6, and I am sure of this, Paul says, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God will finish the work that he started in you? Now, that's a question for everyone here, but especially if you're really struggling with sin right now, and it is dark, and you see no way of escape. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God will finish his good work? Do you believe God is accomplishing his work in you, even in that darkness? Do you believe he can? Do you believe he will remain faithful to his promises to you? Now, I think one way that you can kind of get your mind around this, because I know that's probably hard, especially if you're in that darkness, is to remember that the kingdom of God is backwards. As we've sung before, and I think we're singing it as a last song, there's a line in the song that says, your kingdom flows in reverse. So God's, God's kingdom flows in a different direction than our world, and even our own life sometimes. In his book, Redemptive Reversals, Bible scholar G.K. Beale says these words. In the intro of his book, he says, our life consists of ups and downs. We are usually surprised by both, but we should not be surprised since the Bible testifies that such ups and downs are part of the warp and woof of life. This is true of both the believer in Christ and the unbeliever. And what may appear for the unbeliever as a positive upturn in life is sometimes really, from God's view and plan, the beginning of a downturn in judgment. And what appears to be a downturn in the believer's life is really an upturn in blessing. Because the story of Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob tells the story of the backwards way of the kingdom of God. And I would say as an exercise for you, if you're reading through the Bible right now, or if you're not, or, or whatever, if you want a Sunday afternoon activity while it's raining, read through the Gospel of Matthew and highlight everywhere it talks about the kingdom. And then go into that and say, what, what, is, what is Jesus saying about the kingdom that is different from the world? Every instance is backwards from how the world works. Every single one of them. It never aligns with how our world works because the kingdom flows in a different direction. 
So I hope you've taken note already of this because it's a very important truth for you to remember. When you feel in those moments that your world is out of control, that the darkness is heavy upon you, know that God is in control, masterfully orchestrating your life for your good and for his glory. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you that your ways are not our ways. And help us to understand that your ways are always better. God, you, have, you demonstrated that for us as you sent your only begotten son to live a perfect life, to die a death that we deserve, and to rise again from the dead so that we might have life, so that we might be redeemed, so that we might have a relationship with you as our father. Your kingdom works in reverse. So we pray that your will would be done in our lives as it is in heaven right now in this moment. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.